gosh. Well, hey, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Source Material Comics Podcast. That is correct. We are celebrating Thor Love and Thunder. Did I get that right, Evan Bevins? That is the name of the new movie coming up. I really, really enjoyed Thor Ragnarok. Um, This will be the fourth Thor film, correct? Yes, indeed. I assume you've watched the other three leading up to this, right? Yes, Um, yes, I have. If I put you on the spot and ask you to rank them, what, how would you how would you rank the previous three Thor movies? Oh, I mean, it, Ragnarok's number one for me. I, I know that's not everybody's favorite, but I, I can't take a straight Thor movie. I mean, I just can't take a serious <laughs> Thor movie. I know everybody considers Dark World the bottom of the MCU barrel. I, I enjoyed it. I, I would probably give a slight edge to the, the first Thor movie just because you know the, the story is a little stronger. There's an actual villain you can remember. But I still, I still think uh, Dark World. I mean, it's it's a movie I'll put on and watch and enjoy. It's uh, it, it it's not top tier, but uh, if Dark World's the worst you have to offer, then that's uh, still a heck of a series of you know pushing thirty movies. Right. It's not horrible by any stretch of the means. I liked it when I watched it. Um, yeah. So I, I'm right there with you. The same ranking, uh, three, one, and two. I probably watched uh, Ragnarok. I don't know, three, maybe four times. And that's saying a lot for me because I usually don't go back and revisit movies a whole lot unless I really like them. I've enjoyed Ragnarok. I like watching the stylistic choices that are made in that movie are right up my alley. I I really enjoy it. So and and Korg is my favorite character in the MCU. (laughs) He was great. What a great addition to that franchise, man. So we're getting ready to Thor Love and Thunder. If you've seen the trailers you may know what's coming and what we're going to be doing tonight is covering a book that featured this uh, female this lady who could pick up the hammer she was worthy who is she i wonder i don't know a lot of people out there probably already understand who this person is Uh, i will say as we get into this 2014 series thor goddess of thunder so we're getting into the first volume, which is the first five issues. And this is an eight-issue series with an annual in there. Is that right? I can't remember if there, there was an annual. I, I didn't get it. It was it was eight issues because uh, issue eight was when uh, Secret Wars hit. Okay, yes. So, okay. so we actually, if I'm not mistaken, issue eight revealed who Thor was. And remarkably, at least for me, it hadn't been spoiled at that point. Uh, mm. You know, usually, uh, you know, when there's something big that might make people outside of the comics notice a press release gets issued uh, slightly before or right as the issue comes out. Issue eight was the end. Then the whole Marvel universe ended and she actually played a, a decent role. She was one of the survivors of the six one six in secret wars. Okay. So, Okay. Um, she she actually played a not super prominent role, but she she was one of the folks who who remembered the world uh, before Battle World and stuff like that. Nice, very. And nice. then they followed her for I I forget how long when uh, they came back from Secret War and then into Marvel Legacy. Um, I mean this this was Thor for you know, what three or four years, I'd say. Well, I did find out they did write an annual. Looks like three stories, one called King Thor, the other one called Thor, and then Young Thor. And Young Thor was written by a, at the time, so this is 2015, I don't think he's wrestling at this time, CM Punk. Okay, yeah, he did a Drax the Destroyer series for Marvel, too. Right. That that was more uh, on traditional Thor, who just doesn't move, move the meter for, for me as much. I know Jason Aaron, who is a writer I like, he did a lot of stuff before and after this, like focusing on Thor back in Viking times and stuff. And it, it wasn't bad. It just wasn't my cup of tea. I've talked about Thor on here before. As a matter of fact, I, I think I shared with you a while back that big comic score that I had a long time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of what were in those issues were like, you know, Bronze Age Thor mm-hmm. issues. Not my thing. I'm not reading any of that. I'm not reading Thor. I didn't, uh, as a character, it's not like I didn't like him. I just, street level starch over here is not going to be hopping into Asgard anytime soon. Not enough uh, Punisher crossovers for your liking. (laughs) That's correct, sir. So at some point, I don't know how I hear it. Most likely it's because of a comic book podcast that I listen to or something. But I start hearing the murmur about Gore the God Butcher. Uh Uh-huh. Uh, and I start hearing uh, uh, about what I think it was called God Bomb, I think was the name of the 
Yeah, that 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 was one of that was when Aaron took over. I think Gore the God Butcher was his first story arc, and God Bomb was somewhere in there. Okay, I am absolutely reading those issues, and I will say that it was easily one of my favorite Thor stories that I've. Well, I mean, one of the few <laughs> that I've read and actually uh, remembered and really liked. That's the story that put Jason Aaron on the map for me. I didn't know anything about him prior to that, but when he could make me enjoy a Thor comic, that says a lot. <laughs> so I was like, I'll never, I, I'm not going to forget this guy. And we've covered actually because of that, I've covered other things that Jason Aaron has done on this podcast. And there's a couple other things I want to do as well that Jason Aaron's done, but that was, I, I wish I could remember when God bomb happened. Cause it, it was, it was a couple years before this. Cause even though this was, you know, a very, uh, you know, memorable unique era of thor it's all part of that i mean it, it was bookended by his original thor stories especially in the first issue i mean it it's very clear even though this starts off at number one that it's it's part of an ongoing story he's telling well okay so jason aaron obviously still writing this thor story that we're about to get into with uh 2014's goddess of thunder the creative team on the book jason aaron writing things russell dodderman is the artist colored by matthew wilson and lettered by VC's Joe Sabino. Well, I, I know you said uh, Thor was what introduced Jason Aaron to you. I got acquainted with Jason Aaron when he was writing Wolverine and the X-Men. Okay. Which was uh, the the idea that Cyclops had gone a bit too over the edge, and Wolverine, of all people, decided to restart uh, the X-Men school, although he named it after Jean Grey instead mm. of Charles Xavier. So it was the idea of uh, of Wolverine being the voice of reason and the headmaster for the, for the X-Kids, and... That that series was a lot of fun. That brought me back to the X Men uh, for the first time since Joss Whedon's that run. Oh wow, wow, yeah. I was just looking that up. That was two thousand. First volume dropped two thousand eleven. I've heard of this series, but I've never read anything of it. I've never read any Wolverine and the X Men. Um, it, it, it's a lot of fun. What what sold me on it was I think it was Bacello's cover for issue three, which was Quentin Choir, who was you know like one of the main holdovers from Grant Morrison's run in a restroom at the uh, at the school where he had spray painted uh, on the wall remember when wolverine was cool me neither Ooh, <laughs> oh that's that's harsh that that got me to check it out and it, it was a lot of fun oh wow all right then let's go ahead we'll drop ourselves into the first two issues of this series uh we're going to start out with this these words from issue one so it says change has come to asgard after a self-imposed exile, Odin the Allfather has returned to his former kingdom, now called Asgardia. But his wife, Freya, who had been ruling Asgardia in his stead as the Allmother, has no intention of letting things go back to the way they were before Odin left. The biggest change, though, is that their son, Thor, the god of thunder, now finds himself no longer worthy of wielding Mjolnir, his enchanted hammer. In a recent battle on the moon, super spy Nick Fury, empowered with secrets he stole from the Watcher, whispered something that caused Thor to drop Mjolnir to the moon's surface, where it has remained ever since. No matter how hard he tries, Thor cannot lift it. The leadership of Asgardius uncertain, and Thor now in a severely weakened state, it is only a matter of time before the enemies of Asgard strike, bringing doom to both the fabled realm and Earth itself. Now I've got some more to go here. This is my words now. <laughs> Speaking of Earth, frost giants have emerged, led by the evil dark elf magician King Malekith. I don't know how many more descriptor words. Evil dark <laughs> elf magician king um, Malekith, wreaking havoc on an undersea Roxxon facility, searching for something that they have. Once Odin is given word that Midgard is getting attacked, Thor grabs his axe. Uh, Stormbreaker? Is, is that Stormbreaker? Uh, I believe it's uh, Yarnborn. Yarnborn. Okay. What, what am I thinking? Stormbreaker is... Uh... Stormbreaker is the axe from the movies. Okay. All right. Uh, Thor grabs his axe, mounts his goat, one of his goats, by the way. He has two, doesn't he? Uh, tooth Nasher and Tooth Grinder, I believe. That's right. That's right. I said it fast enough that it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. <laughs> you are absolutely right. Uh, and heads to face the threat. However, in the battle with Malekith, Thor is soon outmatched, gets his left arm severed, and is defeated. At the end of the first issue, we return to the moon to watch events unfold, leading to a mysterious blonde easily lifting Mjolnir above her 
head flying towards the now frozen Pacific Ocean, Lady Thor. I, I, that's how I'm going to refer to her. Do you have a Do you have a preferred nomenclature for uh, the female Thor we have here? Well, well, I, kn- I know they were very intentional that that she just be Thor. That she she was Thor. I, there years ago there was a character called Thor Girl. Um, oh, okay. <laughs> it was a, a female cosmic entity that uh that idolized. But um, yeah, they they just they just call her Thor. Um, I, I have no problem with uh for for uh, clarity purposes referring to her as as Lady Thor. Um, okay. I, perhaps that not, that's not quite as progressive as Marvel was hoping to be. But uh, you know, part of the well, story is uh yeah, whether I mean, she was worthy of the name. Right, and the thing is, is that it's audio. I don't know. Yeah. It's, it's, it's 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 totally descriptive. We are not uh, questioning the validity. That of, is exactly uh, right. Exactly right. So Lady Thor finds I the frozen that hammer. flying towards the now frozen Pacific Ocean. Lady Thor finds the frozen bodies of Asgardians and the Avengers who came to fight the Frost Giants. Running into two of the Frost Giants, Lady Thor gets to discover just how powerful she is, dis- dispatching the giants and their dogs with ease. Meanwhile, the Rockstein headquarters and the floating island it calls home sits high upon a spire of ice in the middle of the ocean. Still being attacked by the frost giants, CEO Dario Agar believes they are after a large skull that they had found on the ocean floor. While Ulick the troll keeps the giants busy, Dario heads to a safe room but is, but is cornered by four giants. Luckily, Lady Thor appears and engages with the giants long enough for Dario to open the doors to an Admanium Admantium reinforced safe room and closes the doors behind it. But it just so happens those doors shut with Mjolnir inside trying to fly back to Lady Thor's hands outside of the chamber. Now, without her hammer, Lady Thor wonders what she will do without it as Malekith has arrived. That's our first two issues. There we go. Evan, I've got a few th- a few jumping on points here that we could talk about with these first two and see what you see what you have to say about it. The relationship between Thor and Mjolnir. So let's just kind of examine this real quick because we start this book and we find out that Thor has lost the ability to pick up his hammer. I mean, you have to be worthy in order to pick it up. Can you shed some light? All that Fury did was go over to Thor and whisper some stuff in it. What did he say? Well, if I can look it up, it's been a while. There was a limited series called The Unworthy Thor that finally revealed exactly what it was that Fury said to him. Gore was right. Oh. Gore was trying to destroy these gods because he thought gods were were unworthy. Uh, were, you know, were not, not worthy of worship. And Fury basically said, yeah, people don't need you. There, there's some other stuff going on with the hammer as well. Yeah, okay. But, All right. um, you know, there, there, there's part of me that found the whole God Butcher thing interesting, and then part of me that has the knee jerk like, oh, so you just don't like religion. Um, and mm-hmm. that that's that's not a fair classification, because most of the Asgardian gods, Odin especially, they're, they're jerks. Actual God, a lot better. I, I, I know I, I stumbled on that discussion when we were talking uh, fear itself. Most of the, the gods you see in the comics are basically, uh, they have the same uh, attitudes and faults as uh, as the rest of us. They just live a lot longer. And of course, that probably messed with his head as well. And, yeah. Right. I could imagine. I mean, I, I, well, to think that, you know, this one thing that kind of makes you who you are, all of a sudden you lose it. It makes for an interesting story, in my opinion. Like, oh, my gosh, you know, why why isn't he able to do this? You can tell that he is consumed with that. Like, he has got to figure out why isn't he? He's got to go out there and try. I think we open this and we open it at some point with Thor trying to lift the hammer and he just yeah. can't. And, and Odin can't either. Right. Which makes it, you know, that's great that uh, to watch Odin not be able to pick it up and like, oh, oh you know, what is going on here? That um, there are other things going on with with the hammer as well, you know, as to why this new person is is the one who, who can pick it up. And that's uh, that, that gets into a lot of, you know, backstory with with the hammer and the true nature of it and things like that. But but yeah, the, the what caused Thor to drop it originally was Fury saying Gore was right. OK. What do you think of our our villain here, Malekith, uh, able to best Thor and cut his freaking arm off? I don't know that I ever read anything with Malekith before this, um, and I'm trying to remember. You know, we, we were talking about Dark World, and and Malekith is you know pretty much accurately viewed as one of the worst villains in in the MCU. I think what happened with that was that 
Loki wasn't supposed to be in the Dark World, and everybody liked Tom Hiddleston so much that they put him in, so it kind of squeezed Malekith out. I mean, he's he's pretty generic in the movie. I'd heard of him, but I don't remember reading much with him. I, I, I had in here, reading this, he basically reminds me of Magic Joker. <laughs> yeah, he's kind of like got this bit of, it's not really insanity but he's he's yeah. very chaotic like i mean he just doesn't care I, yeah, I, kind of a sadistic up, sense of humor right throw he kills one guy let me paint the picture for everybody out there that's listening malekith shows up and he's trying to find the skull he's asking one of the workers there in the facility to hey where where's it at and the guy's like what are you talking about and he just straight up kills him because he asked him that question and he asked the other guy he's he's like where's it at and he's like I will find whatever you're looking for. And the guy's like, all right, now you're and Malekith's like, all right, now you're talking. And he lets that guy live for a little bit. Not yeah. too long. <laughs> yeah. But, I guess Dark World came out a year before this. So, yeah, I don't know how much synergy there was. Dark World came out the year before this. So, of course, Malekith had been announced as the villain, you know, probably a couple years before that. And I don't remember how much... Malekith played a role in before this. I, I read those, but it's been a while. So he, he probably was showing up even before then. I mean, Dario Auger, Agar, however you say it, was uh, had definitely been in previous issues of Thor. So maybe it was to tie in with, with the Dark World is why they were, you know, propping Malekith up. But I mean, he, he, he works well the way Jason Aaron uses him. This was just the first time I really remember reading about him. Some of the other notes I have here. There's some slight illusions here that Freya might be involved Mm-hmm. I don't know if that happens in these issues, but I, I know that at some point we learn that it's not her. Yeah, not, um, not, not in these not in these first two, but yeah, that, that does get hint of that. Okay. And then the other thing I had here was Lady Thor's inner monologue versus her speech. Oh, yeah. I, I, that was one of my favorite things about this. Right. Yes. They, like, anytime she spoke, it was in that... Tell How would you describe that? It's the, the Asgardian classical... Shakespearean almost. Yeah, like, right. Um, right. Dialect. But in in her in her and in, in those thought bubbles, they're all like just regular person. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. It, it, it was a fantastic contrast, and and that you know also gave you an idea of the hammer didn't just change her physically, um, you know, because she was saying things that she was surprised to hear herself saying. One of my pet peeves with it though, and this this was when I when I first read it and even rereading it. The first issue is good. It mm-hmm. it shows you you're in part of a larger story. It it sets up the mystery and everything. But before that first issue came out, it had been announced for months. The new Thor is a woman. The cover of the first issue is the new female Thor, and the whole issue builds to a cliffhanger of someone picks up the hammer and it's a lady. You know, going back and reading it, it's a good issue. It tells a solid story. But I remember, you know, I'd I'd been looking forward to this. Let's see what this mystery is. And I'm like, you know, I plunked down four or five bucks. And I'm supposed to be surprised that Thor's a lady. I, I didn't I didn't mind the mystery it, itself, but I'm like, okay, so I knew for months, I knew from the cover that Thor's a lady now. And the story you told me ends with, hey, Thor's a lady. I mean, that would have been like if the first episode of Lost had been, hey guys, the plane crashed. Like that's the whole point of the show. We knew that. Come on. Right. right. I'm, I'm not saying it doesn't tell a good story. I just the way they go through this with jumping back and forth and with some of the flashbacks and time shifts, I think they could have loaded maybe a little more of the stuff from issue two and flashed back a, a little more. Like I said, it, it's not a bad story in a vacuum, but when you when you buy that issue and you know it's like it's all building up to this, you got to see the new Thor. And the only real new thing you get is Thor's a lady. <laughs> it, 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 it felt like issue two was the first issue of this series. And this was just like a, a zero issue. Uh, yeah, I could see that. I, I could definitely see that. So the other note that I have here, I just want to learn while I'm with you right now about Dario Agar, because I didn't know what in the world we were getting with Dario here. This character is brand new to me, but that's probably because just looking at MarvelFandom.com created in Thor God of Thunder number 19, February of 2014. <laughs> so, yeah, so, yeah, so just a few months before this came out. Right. I mean, this, yeah, I, I know he was he was a or I, I was thinking he was a creation of of Jason Aaron's. That's that's certainly where, where I first uh, first saw him. He's a, a supervillain who's who's a CEO. And I, I think you get in issue two, you've got uh, him mixing like, you know, corporate speak with brutal supervillainy. And you know, like, okay, well, fire everybody on the ninth level, by which I mean release the napalm. You know, it's uh, 
not not that it, there's anything revolutionary about uh, portraying uh, billionaire CEOs as villains, but um, you know he, he he goes a little over the top with it, um, right. a little little beyond the the, the cliches, and you know kind of mixes mixes the uh, the jargon there. As far as evil corporations go in Marvel, Roxxon's got to be top. I don't know. It might be the top one. I'm I'm trying. Oh to think yeah. I mean, I mean, the, they've been around for a long time. They had ties to Deathlock back in the seventies. Roxxon's always been kind of like a you know a generic massive corporate entity at Marvel. It it seems like more recently they've just gone more toward the, the straight up evil corporation. Um, but they they've always been you know kind of a kind of in 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 the background uh, for Marvel for years. I was just looking up Roxxon. I guess it first appeared in 1974 in an issue of Captain America. So Roxxon was one of the earliest funders of Shield. However, they also had ties to Hydra. Well, and, of course, and some some of that was was later. That you know they got into the whole complicated Shield and Hydra are two sides of the same coin. You know, oh yeah, a lot of that yeah, stuff yeah. evolves over the years. But I mean, I, I know I remember reading about Roxxon in you know comics from slightly but before I was born. But I, I think it really became the go-to evil corporation. Evil. I, I, I mean, it, it was it was always a, a plot device and a common thread in the backdrop of Marvel, but I, I think it really became, you know, the symbolic evil corporation a little more recently. And here's Dario Agger, now CEO, uh, who's got Ulick the Troll working for him, <laughs> which is pretty cool. All right, I'm stepping back, man. What, what are your notes here? Let's see. Um, well, like I said, I, I, I thought it told a good story, just uh, maybe could have been, you know, uh, rearranged a little bit for for issue one. Um, you talked about the dialogue. I I love love that. The the new Thor has has some great lines. Like uh, when she slugs that uh frost giant says, "Tell me how much did it hurt whenever Thor would punch you? More or less than this." <laughs> I think the first time I really read about Thor was in. I don't know if you ever read a comic called the Marvel Saga that was kind of like. Came yeah, out in the early '80s and kind of put all the Marvel stuff in order. It was like a chronology. I've read, yeah. I've read some of it. Yes. And I, I remember one of the earliest things I read about Thor was him fighting Loki and getting separated from the hammer. And back in the olden days, you know, if he didn't have the hammer in his hand for a minute, he turned back into Don Blake, Doctor Don Blake. And right. Thor was one of the first superheroes that they were just like, ah, forget the secret identity. It, w- it was cool to see them kind of go back to that. And then, you, and, and we don't know, because we don't know who the new Thor is. We don't know how her powers work. So, you know, we're kind of wondering along with her, hey, uh, so, so if she didn't have the hammer, what happens? Because that, you know, that used to be a trope of Thor's. And then it was just like, nah, he's just Thor. It's um, a good point. If the hammer gave her her powers, where is it? more augments Thor's abilities, I guess, yeah. these days. If the hammer gave her her powers, then, yeah, does does she have the same old uh, Achilles heel Thor did? Kind of disappointed with the first issue when I initially read it. Like I said, going back, at the, the story's fine. Uh, yeah, the, the second issue, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm going to like this. I'm, I'm going to stick with this. This is this is very cool what they're doing. <laughs> All right. You know, well, she, she had more going for her than, than just the mystery. They, you know, they had yeah, good, yeah. good dialogue and... Um, you know, lot, lots of stuff going on there um, that, that made me want to come back for more. Issues three and four. Uh, in issue three, we flash to days previous where Malekith convinces the king of the Frost Giants, Skrymir, the skull of their greatest king, Lalfe, has been found by Roxxon. Worried that invading Midgard would result in a losing war with Thor, Malekith assures him that Thor has lost control of Mjolnir giving Skrymir the confidence they could retrieve the skull and survive any battle that will come their way. In the present, Malekith, now draped with the unattached arm of Thor, lets loose some frost giants to try to kill Lady Thor, who finds she is able to hold her own without Mjolnir, but realizes some of the magic that makes her powerful may be fading away. However, while Malekith and Dario Agar, CEO Dario Agar, fight inside the chamber, Lady Thor is able to pry the vault doors open and let loose Mjolnir. A nearby crate is smashed and there lies the skull of Lalfe. Thinking he is victorious, Malekith looks to take the skull back with him until Lady Thor promptly shatters it with her hammer. Malekith exclaims that a war is coming for sure now, but just then, male Thor appears with a new arm ready to take back his hammer. It doesn't take long, and Lady Thor and Male Thor are fighting. Finally, Thor Odinson realizes that the hammer chose this woman as a worthy 
wielder and confirms with her that she is not his mother, which, yeah, that's funny. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly hope not. (laughs) Right. Now their attention turns to the remaining frost giants as the pair kill them quickly. Malekith teleports and escapes, burning Thor's severed arm right up in front of him. Rescuing the rest of the heroes, Thor Odinson finds his mother and explains to her and Lady Thor that he gladly gives up the name Thor to this new woman who now wields the hammer. In a small epilogue, we learn that the skull that was smashed on his island was not the real skull of Lalfey, and Dario Agar is now bargaining with Malekith for control of other realms. So there we go. That is issues three and four of... Thor, goddess of thunder. Well, yeah, I, I really enjoyed not exactly a ticking clock, but the the suspense with what's going to happen with Thor without the hammer. I thought that was really well done, really suspenseful. The, part of my uh, comic legalism was like, wait a minute, it's got to have been sixty seconds by now, but we don't really know if that, <laughs> if that's exactly how it works. I really liked the the way they did that and some of her dialogue where. Um, you know, she's projecting confidence, but saying, OK, well, well, what would act- what would Thor actually do? And then uh, she says Thor would bellow and bluster and rage until they cut off his arms. And then he would kick the heck out of him. a lot of that interior monologue lets you know for sure that she is someone that Thor knows. And I know in, in issue five, not to get too far ahead, we, we get a list of suspects that, that Thor has. But um, I think my uh, my working theory at that point was that she was Roz Solomon, who's a S.H.I.E.L.D. agent that had been introduced uh, in Aaron's previous run that had been kind of set up as an ally and maybe even a love interest for Thor. I know Jane Foster was was showing up, too, but uh, I, I don't know. I, I was I was leaning toward Roz Solomon. We do get that that moment of suspense where uh, her you know disguise is, is starting to fade. And, and we we do almost see who she is. Drama there was done pretty well. I, I thought it was cool the way they showed Thor shows up. Obviously, he, he's angry, a bit of a Thor loser, if you will. <laughs> Um, but you know, once he sees how the hammer acts for her and does things that he's never seen it do, you know, that, that, that was you know pretty cool. Not, not only in story, but the way they did that with the art to, to show you even for a, you know, casual Thor reader like me, okay, this is different. When that whole fight starts, mm-hmm. I mean, it's so great. Obviously, like you said, Odinson shows up and he's got an attitude already because somebody is running around with his hammer. But when he gets up in her face and she just so ever gently taps his chest <laughs> with the hammer <laughs> and look all it is is a panel of of odinson's eyes yeah. and he is enraged you dare and then it it is on from there but yeah i love how just like you said odin's thor odinson gets respect for the new thor just because he's starting to see how much and he says that i think he, he can't believe that the way the hammer has is working and is doing things that he never seen it do before for him that solidifies her a little bit as thor so honestly her telling thor to calm himself down in retrospect is a major clue to who she is because there's not a lot of people who could uh, who could do that and not actually be trying to provoke him or just pick a fight good point now, now granted point. he he took it that way but if if you look at that the way the way she's doing it, I mean she she knows Thor, she respects Thor, and there's very few characters who could thread that needle of tell of putting Thor in his place and really having the authority and the familiarity to do it. Are you upset that we didn't get to see like the Avengers everybody get frozen and lose this battle against the Frost Giants? Part of me wonders, you know, especially with the way comics are today, why didn't we get a, you know, four one point five Avengers versus Frost Giants? But I mean, it, it it's not it's not necessary. Not everything has to be a crossover. You know, the point was to show that hey, these guys are a threat, and New Thor took them out. I mean, I you know, I, I'm not overly familiar with the Frost Giants, so I was like, eh, it's a big deal. It's some Ice Giants. Mm-hmm. Whoop de do. They took out the Avengers off panel. The only other character I know that I've seen defeat the Avengers off panel is Squirrel Girl. So, <laughs> so you're okay with that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, uh, we got get, got to do get volume two on the schedule. They they served their purpose, and you know it, it it's a Thor story. So uh, you know we we got a little bit of Spider Man, a little bit of Captain America, but um, 
you know, the, the Avengers ser- served their purpose in this story, which was to show you the Frost Giants were a threat, but we focused on uh, on the characters at hand. Uh, my favorite Thorism uh, is I say thee nay. Right, uh, dude. My, 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 my kids even know that one. Yeah, the fact that she says I say thee nay, which, again, I think was more magic personality alteration rather than trying to to irritate Thor. But, uh, but yeah, I loved it when she uh, she dropped that line. Oh, yeah, yeah. All right. Issue five, Behold a New Age of Thunder, uh, written by Jason Aaron, guest artist Jorge Molina, and letters by VC's Joe Sabino. On Asgardia, Odin is having some issues with Mjolnir being controlled by a strange woman. He has employed the god of fear, called Borson, as the royal inquisitor and minister of justice in righting this wrong. You remember Fred, old Cull from Fear Itself? I, I barely yeah, when I saw he, this, he was the serpent. He was the big bad in fear itself. Okay. All right. Freya implores Thor Odinson to get word of warning to the new Thor. And he promptly heads to the bar and runs into Sif. So it's like, yeah, I'll go get uh, as soon as I get a drink. Runs into Sif. The conversation quickly leads to Odinson interrogating Sif. If she is the one who now wields the hammer to which she denies and throws her drink in his face. Odinson then proceeds to drown his troubles, bemoaning the events that led to his separating from Mjolnir. On Earth, the new Thor runs into the Absorbing Man and Titania and is surprised in the midst of battle that Titania turns on her husband out of respect for a lady now wielding the hammer. And also, she just wants uh, she wants Absorbing Man back in jail because his eyes tend to wander a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, when he's out for too long. So when she returns to the moon, Freya appears, giving her the warning of what is to come and telling her to remain worthy of the name of Thor. Deep in the bowels of Asgardia, Odin leads Kal Borson into a chamber to unveil the weapon they're going to unleash on this imposter Thor, the Destroyer. Woo, the Destroyer. I was waiting for the Destroyer to show up. That's always a big reveal. Um, oh, yeah. So Never seems to work out well, but everybody's like, yeah, let's, let's bring the Destroyer. We'll bring on the Destroyer. That's kind of issue five. We we basically get Thor, who's kind of uh, still upset over the fact that he lost his hammer. Thor Odinson uh, is upset he still lost his hammer, and he's he's got a list of people he's <laughs> trying to cross off. Obviously, it's not Sif. At least he doesn't think it is. Uh, he's pretty sure it's not his mom. So uh, we're going to look at that list here in a second. And then, of course, we got Thor on Earth uh, running into a couple baddies and uh, having a real interesting exchange with titania absorbing man kind of standing in for some of the fans you know we're saying oh you want to be a chick superhero fine who cares but get your own identity thor's a dude (laughs) i thought my opinion and this was my note is like odin feels like a representation of the many who are decrying this female thor (laughs) like he is the guy that's like out to right this wrong this cannot stand and i will make sure that it doesn't and I mean, I, I didn't have a problem with it because I, I, I thought they executed it well. But right before this, I think, because we saw him in issue four, uh, Sam Wilson became Captain America. Mm. And I like that. that. That was a good story. And then and, and after Secret War, but still while uh, while we had the new Thor, and the new Captain America, you had Ironheart. Riri Williams took over for Iron Man. Right. And I liked each of those characters and I liked each of those stories. But, you know, for people who are like, oh, well, they're just trying to to shoehorn in diversity. Well, they're trying to tell a different story. Nothing wrong with that. But but to stack all three of them on top of each other, I don't know that it was intentional, but I I think it kind of took some of the impact away from it. Like, hey, we're just going to change everybody. I've always been somebody who if you can tell a decent story and you can tell this change, then. I'm I'm not going to have a problem with it, especially with this Thor and then Sam Wilson as Captain America. I mean, those two characters made sense from a story standpoint. You know, okay, with Iron Man, okay, we had Jim Rhodes step in. You know, so why not do something totally different? Somebody with a totally different background and life experience than 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 Tony Stark. Like I said, I I liked all of those approaches. I just thought they kind of undercut each other by by doing them one right after the other. It it felt like change for change's sake from the outside looking in when in the stories, they were actually good stories, I thought. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, different people like, like different stuff. But I, I remember reading an interview with a guy who had this massive comic collection. They asked him what he thought about some of these complaints. And he's like, man, I can go out in, in my long boxes and get hundreds of stories about Tony Stark as Iron Man. Let me read something different. I don't think certainly for a second that was the only reason they did these stories. But 
I, I understand that argument. And it, it just kind of, you know, it was like in the 90s when you had Superman died, Batman broke his back. It was just, you know, it was like, OK, well, on the one hand, it's a cool story. But on the other hand, are you just doing, OK, well, we did this for Superman. Let's do the same thing for Batman. Mm-hmm. Now, and that that wasn't at least the, the whole motivation. But that's that's kind of how that, that's kind of how, how it felt at times. It's like, hey, let's just do this. uh Let's just do this thing because we did this for somebody else and it worked. I enjoyed this. I, I liked uh, I liked Thor's scroll of suspects. Oh, yeah. Um, let's talk about that. I'm looking at it if you want me to start reading them. Yeah, go for it. Okay, Hildegard. So Hildegard was an Asgardian Valkyrie gifted with extraordinary strength and great skills with the sword. Brunhilda is Valkyrie uh, of Defenders fame. Different from, from the movie Valkyrie. I always enjoyed uh, the original Defenders, so I had a... Uh, a fondness for her. And then Iden, the youthful maiden, Iden the ever young, the goddess of immortality and keeper of the golden apples. How do you spell Iden? I-D-U-N-N. First appeared in Journey into Mystery number 100, November of 1963. Uh, she was mentioned there. And it says Journey into Mystery 114, January 65, must have been her first full appearance. And, and you know what? I'm starting to notice a trend here. At least in the last two that I looked at, I didn't look at Brunhilde just to yeah. clarify. But Brunhilde, I know her. So. Both blondes so far. Is Brunhilde blonde? Yeah. Oh. Yes, she is. All right. Okay. Well, let's take a look. What's the next person? Yeah. Tareen, who is uh, remember I mentioned Thor girl earlier. Right. Yeah, she is a uh, she's a, a cosmic entity, and um, she kind of modeled herself after Thor for a while. So uh, she went by Thor girl. Do you recall? Was she blonde? Yes. Uh, well, uh, in in some incarnations, uh, the one I'm looking at now, it's kind of energy. That's um, what I'm but, too. but yeah, most of the stuff I read with her was when she was part of the initiative post Civil War, and I mean, yeah, she was just a like a teenage girl Thor. Okay. All right. I finally found the list. Jane Foster. Hmm. Not let's blonde. Take a look. Not blonde. She's Not on blonde. the list though. She's, she's definitely. Yeah. yeah. She's definitely a brunette. Neither is Roz Solomon, who. Um, she was she was an agent of Shield. I I want to say uh, Aaron introduced her. Or at least she played a part in his run before this, and she was set up as kind of an ally and maybe even a love interest for Thor. Yeah, that that that's who my money was on. All right. And then uh, Lorelai is a she's some kind of Asgardian magic user. I think she's been more of a enemy to Thor. First appeared August of 1983. Thor number 337. You know, I just noticed that he is writing Sif question mark after this. Isn't that after he she throws her drink yeah. in his face? Okay. She said, the only thing I could possibly have less interest in holding than you, Odin's son, is that ridiculous hammer. Does that answer your question? And he <laughs> says, not truly, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm bringing up Amora here just to take a look. Yeah, yeah, the, is- <laughs> the enchantress from the uh, Masters of Evil, usually paired up with the Executioner. Right. Really surprised she hasn't made it into a movie yet. If you had told me years ago there would be four Thor movies and we wouldn't have seen the Enchantress yet. That's insane. And especially the movies called Love and Thunder and they went with Gore the God Butcher over the Enchantress. Unbelievable. Fit so well. Oh, and for for my money, when they first announced uh, Christian Bale was going to be the villain, I thought he was going to be Dario Auger. (laughs) Well, he would have worked. I mean, it would have worked perfect. So Carnilla is what we're moving on to here next. She I is. think that says Carnilla, right? Yeah, Carnilla. I always remember her being referred to as the Norn Queen or the Queen of the Norns. Yep. She's an Asgardian uh, sorceress type. Yep. First appeared June of 64. Boy, a lot of these appearing like right around that 100 yeah. issue of Journey. In- was Journey into Mystery always the Thor book when it first started or was it something um, No, it, it was something else because Thor's first appearance, I want to say, was Journey into Mystery number 83. Okay. All right. So it, it was it was an anthology thing. Kelda, K E L D A. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I I didn't remember her name, but um, but but yeah, I remember she was in uh, Straczynski's run. She was like this gorgeous goddess who fell in love with this kind of average dude in uh, Broxton, Oklahoma, when Asgard was floating over top of Broxton, Oklahoma. And then we have help me out here. Is that Tana, Tana Nile? Tana Nile. The only thing that I know her from, uh, even though she first appeared in Thor number 129, I'm, I'm looking it up online, I'm not that good. Um, <laughs> but the only thing that I know her from was actually Generation X. She She's an alien, she's a Rigelian. It, it says here, I just remember in Generation X, she crash-landed at the Massachusetts Academy and Artie and Leech, you know, the little mutant kids. Yeah. They kind of hit her out in their treehouse, 
and they spun off into this weird series that I can't believe I haven't snatched up out of a dollar bin somewhere called Daydreamers. It was Artie, Leach, Franklin, Tannenile, Man-Thing, and Howard the Duck. Oh, my gosh. On, like, some kind of weird weird adventure. And, I, you know, every now and then I, that'll occur to me, and I'm like, why, why have I not gotten this? That I mean, is That screams Evan Bevins. It's got to be floating around out there somewhere. So I, I think I'm going to put that on my uh, next uh, bargain bin hunt. Tana Niles' first appearance, Thor 129 from April of 1966. Now we're going to get into a couple of very interesting ones here. The second from the bottom being Angela. Mm-hmm. We talked about Angela, not me and you. I think it was me and uh, Chris Armstrong, where we discussed the first appearance of Angela yeah, in she, Spawn number nine, I think it was. Number yeah, eight she's or the number only X-Image character that went to Marvel instead of DC. Right. It's a, it, it, I, I love it. I don't think that was the plan initially. It's no. <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> Wait. Oh, okay. That Angela. I thought you were talking about the mean blonde lady from the office. No, no, no. Afraid not. Although, you know, you never know. Thor probably could have been like, uh, that's a blonde. Like he has, <laughs> he has a whole list. Like that scroll is not continued to be unrolled. We never, we don't know what's above Freya there. Angela is the angel that if you go back into spawn comics was was trying to hunt spawn she was a spawn hunter at that point what's interesting and i don't know if it's known at this point i assume it is but angela is supposedly thor's sister is that right right that was spun out of original sin which is the same event where nick fury tells uh, gets thor to drop the hammer so yeah at that point it it, it was known that she was thor's sister or half sister or something okay all right uh, and then Loki. I mean, I don't think we have to really dive deep into who Loki is, but I love how I love how he's at the bottom of the list. It Thor. wouldn't be the first time Loki switched genders. That's right. Thor Odinson knows that, by golly, there is some trickery about, and Loki may be involved in some way. Learned a lot there. I did, I did. Again, the fact that we got a Lady Thor, a female version of Thor, a new Thor, what have you, I thought the story, these five issues are told well. Um, if I was reading it at the time, I don't know when it got spoiled for me. Uh, so, folks, we're just going to spoil it here. If you want to stop it here, you're more than welcome to, because probably shortly after this, we're going to get into plugs anyway. But three, two, one. I don't recall if I, I don't recall how it got spoiled that Jane Foster was Thor, but I, I knew about it probably right after it happened somehow they kept the secret up until the reveal in issue eight but uh yeah after that it was all bets were off right you somebody was going to tell somebody you were going to see it online there's now i don't know if it gets explored does the cancer angle get explored in this story oh, very very much so because okay. it's revealed that every time she turns into she transforms into thor it expels from her body. that includes chemotherapy but really? it doesn't heal the cancer Okay. So becoming Thor is literally killing her. Wow. Well, we don't get any of that in this first five. That's for sure. No, that there's there's one thing I, I forget where where she says something about, and who knows what it'll do to my, and then it cuts off, and I I automatically filled in you know cancer because I knew the rest of the story. But yeah, that that becomes a, a part of it is that you know she's doing this, and you know there's certain things only Thor can do, and so she's got to decide. You know, is she going to keep being a hero or is she going to, uh, you know, try to save her life? I, I did think there was some good dialogue there when Odin brings in Cull as his uh, minister of justice. And Thor says he's a butcher and a madman. And Odin said he is that as well, but that does not change his blood. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I thought the art was, was kind of neat. Um, you know, I mean, Russell Dodderman's great, but uh, Malin, you know, he, he drew especially with, uh, you know, kind of the, the smirk you, you get from Thor. But, I mean, she's right. taking this seriously, but she's also enjoying it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is that? So, yeah, yeah I, th I thought it was a nice nice change of pace issue and, you know, kind of set up the, the second half of of this uh, short run to start off with. It's almost like an animated look. Um, yeah. Like, when you look at Cole Borson, I mean, he looks like he is off of a cartoon almost. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is fantastic. Yeah, I have. I didn't have any complaints about the art. All right, man. Well, we did it. We talked Thor, Goddess of Thunder, uh, issues one through five of the 2014 series. Do you get out and go watch movies as often as I do, which is just about basically not? 
going out and uh, watching movies. <laughs> pre- pretty much the only things I've seen since the pandemic, which uh, not only speaks to pandemic caution, but my own uh, hermit-like tendencies have been the Marvel movies because I know that I, I'm going to have them spoiled for me right. if if I don't see them. So I, I will probably be trying to get to see Love and Thunder sooner rather than later. I don't know if I'll be hitting the, hitting the theaters as much as I would like to. It looks like it's a good movie. Uh, is it is it Taika Waititi doing this doing the directing yes. again? Okay. Yes. You know if he's going to have that style like he did with Ragnarok, it's going to be an enjoyable movie. I'm sure it's going to be a lot of fun. Oh yeah, we got the Guardians of the Galaxy going to be in it too. I forgot all about yeah. that. We got the Guardians in there, which that'll be fun and a, a nice yeah, yeah, space-faring it'll, adventure. It'll be neat to see what Waititi does with them. Right. I'm all I'm all about that. That's good stuff. Well, man, let's go ahead. We'll get into plugs here, buddy. Thank you for joining me tonight. You took, you know, an hour and a half, two hours out of your day. Sit down oh, and talk some forward. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed this uh, initial story. I, I didn't stick with it post Secret Wars, I think, just because there were some other things that uh, grabbed my interest. But I, I, I followed along through the library and I mean, I, I, I mostly like to. Like the the story of the store. Well, so. what do you got? What do you got going on nowadays, man? You doing some writing? Doing some uh, doing some yeah, podcast um, shows? What's the plan? Asterisk51.blogspot.com. You can see uh, where I've written about Thor a little bit more often uh, with uh, with regard to the Eternals. Actually, uh, leading up to the Eternals movie, I was kind of reading up on them and found uh, there's a very lengthy Thor storyline called the Eternals Saga. I, I wrote about a couple different issues of, particularly the one where he found an Eternal who was a luchador named El Vampiro. Oh, yeah. You've mentioned him quite a few times. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you gotta. I, I like the fact that El Vampiro's out there uh, <laughs> fighting the good fight. Written a little about that, um, and then it was Thor three hundred one that has a very loose connection to the Shang Chi movie, but that I think might actually uh, have s- some influence uh, on Love and Thunder because it involves Thor visiting a bunch of other pantheons. So um, probably That's try to reshare that on 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 Twitter. Right now, I'm working my way through uh, Secret Defenders. If you know anybody who likes 90s comics. Ah, I do, turns yeah. out. <laughs> so, and I'm trying to, I just finished up uh, going through the X-Lives and X-Deaths of Wolverine, which uh, is Gonzo time travel mm. story. Uh, you you need to read it just for that, whether you do a show on it or not, just for the uh, the time travel insanity. I love it. I'd, I'd love to do that. Got a bunch of oddball movies uh, from uh, from Dollar Tree that I need to to uh, to write about the sneak over uh, I did that a while back. All oh, right, yeah, the a, sneak over the, a, the Stranger blatant, Things. A, a blatant attempt to yeah use the Stranger Things font. That's literally <laughs> the only thing they have in common. <laughs> Look for a few things. I need to get back into Ravage twenty ninety nine. Oh yeah, give it the the attention you and Chris Armstrong refuse to. All right, right. <laughs> yeah, I do know that you and I have another. Well, right now actually, as we're recording. Evan and Chris and myself sat down and talked colorblindness, which was a four issue sleepwalker story. A very um, special sleepwalker. Story. Yes, it was. <laughs> yes, it was. Uh, early 90s. This is your brain on drugs. And then you and me and Chris are going to complete the Darkhawk Sleepwalker trilogy with the uh, Darkhawk Sleepwalker crossover. Yeah, it's, that is absolutely going to be happening. That is on the agenda. We also are, I don't think we've scheduled it yet, but I know you and I are going to be, uh, and possibly even Chris Armstrong, going to be talking uh, the new Fantastic Four. That, yeah. that And we said that was a three-issue series, which, by the way, I, I read last night the first issue and part of the second. Interesting so far. You know, it's in, interesting to see this new team kind of get together of some of the hottest Marvel characters at that point in time, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, and Gray Hulk. Uh, Peter David just... Uh... Uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, they just released the first issue of a limited series that kind of picks up where the original story left off. Oh, great. And, uh, fir- first issue is great. Well, that's going to be on the agenda as well sometime. There's a couple things I did with Kapow, the pop culture podcast. I'll plug these this time travel countdown uh, for a while now because it was, it was such uh, a good time. Uh, we did uh, our top 20 combined top 20 countdown. We had four people on that podcast. You could veto other people's picks, and it got interesting. So if you want to check, <laughs> if you want to check out me and a few others talking about time travel movies and trying to rank the top twenty, go search out Kapow the Pop Culture Podcast. And I'm also doing something with them called Kids on Bikes right now, which is a role playing game 
huh. we're going to be yeah, we're going to be record, recording our next episode tomorrow. We're already, I think, that'll be our third episode. Uh, second episode aired yesterday, and we rolled our characters the, on our first episode, and then our second episode started our journey uh, in the 80s. And it turns out nice. I, lo- I, I, I don't want to give anything away. Well, let's, let's just put it this way. I was involved, I was involved in a bike race. Okay. Okay. BMX bike race on my Huffy with my banana seat down <laughs> at <laughs> down at the fairgrounds here in Marietta, Ohio. Yeah. And on on the line on the line was uh, because apparently we were betting things, and one of those things that were in the in the betting was the first twenty sequential, sir. The first twenty cards of the Alf set. Uh, the Alf card set. <laughs> oh wow. <laughs> and apparently some Bullia baseball cards. Ooh, one wow. of which was uh, Mel Mac's own Gordon Shumway. Uh, uh, so, yeah, did I win? Did I lose? You'll have to tune in and listen to that first episode. Grave, now, now that's a tease <laughs> of grave decisions. Okay, last last plug. I know that tomorrow I'm going to be recording with Dean Compton and Derry Waits coming back. Uh, so he he was on a tiny bit of a hiatus. He's coming back. He's going to be discussing the. One shot, 64 page one shot of Soviet super soldiers. Oh, okay. Man, you talk about getting into some characters that. Ursa Major, Dark Star, Gremlin, Crimson Dynamo, Titanium Man. You you are right on point there. I think one of the most frightening. I've seen the cover. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. Have you seen the cover? One of the most frightening things that happens in that whole comic is the appearance of the unicorn. Evan, you know, I do notes. The Soviet super soldiers notes on Google Docs are eight pages long. Oh, wow. Uh, so I learned a lot. I've said it before. I learned a lot doing that episode uh, or uh, researching for that episode. And I'm glad we get to record it tomorrow. But anyway, so that is on the agenda. Uh, you know, as always, shout out to the W2M network and, of course, the Radlich and Broadcasting Network as well. You know, I go over there, hang out with Mark Radlich, talk some metal every once in a while. On Wednesdays, we're usually doing the Metal Hammer of Doom um, and uh, some other shows. We've got a TV party tonight I've already recorded. I've just got to get it in the in, out there in, in podcast land, and that is me and Alexis Haina talking. Hell, uh, I've recorded Hell of a Boss with her, and then right after that, it was me, her, and Ben, Benjamin J. Cologne, who jumped into The Last Ronin, TMNT The Last Ronin. Okay. So, yeah, keep an eye out. So i got to finish that one. All right, that's it. For Evan Bevins, I'm Jesse Starcher. We'll be talking to you soon. Although Evan may say the nay, I say the yay. (laughs) (laughs) How about the? Here we go. That's Evan Bevins. I'm Jesse. We're out of here. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining us. Make sure to give that Rattelich in Broadcasting Facebook page a like to stay up on top of all the great podcasts we have to offer. We are at home on Spreaker, but you can also find us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, and recently we have hit the air on Spotify. Find your favorite podcast platform and type in R-A-D-U-L-I-C-H to subscribe for some great content. If you enjoyed this show, please feel free to share and spread the word. And as always, we appreciate any feedback and look forward to entertaining you again soon.